Hey, it's Munir here. Just wanted to let you know that I just launched a shop on easymedicaldevice.com where you can find some templates for your documentation, some coaching sessions or some online courses. If there is anything that you need but it's not there, so let me know and I'll create it. Okay, so now let's listen to this episode. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Lazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today I wanted to help you to gather clinical data. And for that, I have with me a guest that has written a great article on LinkedIn. And I was asking myself, maybe this guy should come to the podcast and really educate our, our people. So we have uh, on the podcast, David Rutledge from uh, Strategic Global Solution. So he's the CEO of Strategic Global Solution. And he will help us to define uh, how to collect clinical data. So David, welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Thank you, Manir. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, I wanted to let you know that um, I've listened to every one of your podcasts and I've been following you for a while and you're doing great work. And I wanted to point out three things that, that I, that there's many, but I'll, I'll limit it to okay. three. Uh, that uh, I thought was very, very uh, important uh, in terms of the work that you're doing. Um, number one, the topics that you're covering are all have all been timely, and they've been uh, very practical for your uh, followers on your um, YouTube channel and your website in terms of uh, your podcast or, you. or blogs. And number two, uh, I really am very pleased as a former academician, you know, teacher of the year, faculty of the year in an earlier career of mine to see how you've uh, developed a training program because there, there is a need out there for people to get uh, trained in medical devices, especially with the changes that are occurring all over the world, but, but also in Europe. Yeah, so 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 yeah, we are talking here about the mini course that uh, I've done, and yes. we have now uh, so much students. So thank you, everybody. Uh, you were really great. There were some yeah. that uh, really passed uh, the mini course. They got their certificates, yeah. and I'm really uh, really yes. proud of that because it helped them really to understand the MDR. And th yeah. thank you, David, for that because yeah, it's really a great achievement. Yeah. I've done that. I think one year ago or two years ago. Right. I can't remember how long it yeah. takes now. It yeah. took now, so yeah. but uh, yeah, it's really a, a good thing. It's really meeting a great need. And finally, you're providing, uh, recently been providing really nice tools for your yeah. um, uh, subscribers. And uh, I even downloaded one just to take a look at that MDR uh, technical documentation uh, fi uh, file that you had available. And it was wonderful. It was right on, spot on. Uh, I've got several versions of that uh, that I've compared it to. But those are, you know, practical things that really empower uh, people to really be compliant and to meet the expectations of the medical device uh, regulation. Yeah, so, uh, thank you, thank you, thank yeah, you so for you that. Great job there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. So recently, I just, uh, so for the audience that maybe don't know, I just launched a, a shop where I'm uh, providing some templates right. uh, because there was there were a lot of people that were asking me, do you have a template for this? Do you have a template for that? So I decided maybe I should build those yeah. templates and start to offer them to people. So on the shop. Yeah. 
so yeah, so I think I hope it's really helpful for people. Uh, for now, I had nobody complaining, so I think it's a, no, it's a good sign. I, you know, I looked. Yeah, right. I looked at all the templates, but I actually purchased one from you also just to to have as a hard copy. So it was really good, and you got that free one too. The yeah, yeah. medical device classification one that was that's really good yeah yeah exactly yeah. i already had provided some free templates and uh, yeah now i started to build more uh, sophisticated ones so so yeah thank you yeah. thank you for that so yeah, um so anyway yeah for people i can put that also on the show notes uh, so that they can see where where they can find that if they are interested uh, no obligation but uh, it's also something that uh, really i'm trying to to provide to help the community uh, to uh, finalize their projects because i know there is a lot of projects that are because maybe they don't know exactly what to provide, like a technical file and everything. So, so it's great. Okay, David. So let's go back to the episode now. So, um, as we said, so uh, first introduction of yourself. So, can you tell us more about you, who you are, uh, so that the audience uh, can really um, understand what's your background, and then we can right. go through the different questions about the clinical data, how to get right. Through. Right. Yeah, I uh, have had several careers in academia, as an example, as an assistant associate, full professor, tenured full professor, chairman of a department. So I'm very familiar with how academic medical centers uh, run. And during that time, I got inducted as a fellow of the American Heart Association um, because of lots of different reasons, research and, and uh, service that I was doing and the publications that I had and things. Um, I then joined a big, big pharma company. Uh, and had was there for about six or seven years in the R&D piece of the business, mainly in cardiovascular, but then got into other areas as well. And then for 13 years, I was in the medical device business um, with, with lots of different experiences all over the world, working with um, several notified bodies and, uh, and competent authorities all over the world. And um, so I had sort of like a clean reg quality kind of background uh, as an example. Um, one of the neat things that happened while I was in the industry is the health and human resource, health and human resources, uh, um, uh, uh, food and drug administration, uh, help, I guess it's HHS, health and human services, uh, food and drug administration, uh, appointed me as a four year appointment to a medical device panel, uh, working with the agency on one of their medical device uh, panels that they had. And that was a great experience for me to see how the FDA worked in the background, and then what happened the day of the panel uh, when we were uh, there with the industry, um, pre them presenting their case for approval. That was really good. Good experience. Learned an awful lot from the agency from that perspective. Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn and mainly um, uh, email, which you'll have on on the screen. Um, and uh, you can um, uh, those are the, you know those are the two best ways. I'm noticing that the sun's coming in my my window here, so I'm going to try to get out of the, the sun uh, a little bit here. No yeah. problem. So yeah, so uh, anyway, I will put uh, the, on the show notes all the details uh, details for you, uh, so people can can catch up with you. Um, okay, David. So um, maybe now let's uh, go to the meat of the episode and try to make people understand of the um, the clinical data source. So uh, my first question is, why do we need clinical data? So what is the purpose for that? Well, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, a friend of mine brought this to my attention uh, back in uh, 2017 in September at the National Harbor uh, Conference Center in Washington, D.C. at the D.C. waterfront. Uh, there was a, um, I was asked to present on some clinical evidence and developing post-market clinical follow-up plans and things. And, and what, what the article on LinkedIn was about and what we're talking about today 
was actually talked about in September 2017. And so it's not new, but uh, um, it is receiving a lot of attention right now. And basically, you know, why do we need clinical data? It really, it really nails into three pieces of the MDR. You can talk about the, um, the preamble part of the MDR about why this was developed and stuff. But if you look at um, uh, Article 61 on page 55, if you look at Annex 1 on page 94, and then uh, Annex 14 on page uh, 6, um, uh, what is it, uh, 164, um, then those will, those will give you three places to uh, answer that question about why do we need clinical data. It's, it's in the law. It's required. Uh, we need to have, you know, evidence to support product approval and continued approval. You know, I, I have down here on my, on my notes, optimism is not data. Uh, <laughs> confidence is good, but, you know, evidence uh, and facts on, are, are better. And, you know, we're really, we're really long past the days of, of manufacturers saying, we believe that our product is safe uh, uh, and performs well and, and things like that. We need to really be making decisions based upon evidence. Yeah, it's, so, it's, it's, yeah. it's still what I'm reading sometime when I'm reading some clinical evaluation report or some, uh, some technical files where it says, yeah, my, our data are good, our data are correct, our product is safe, everything is fine. But when you deep dive on it, you say, what, which data do you have that are really, uh, that are really uh, showing that, that are really proving that your product is safe? And then it's, uh, oh, we had 20 years of experience, etc. So as you said, optimism is not really something that uh, yes. notified body or the authorities are looking for. They are looking for data so that uh, they are right. uh, the Yeah. Yeah, so I think the problem really is that manufacturers don't have enough clinical data uh, to really um, show um, um, conformity uh, to, uh, you know, Annex 1 as an example and meet the requirements and expectations of the clinical evidence depending on the risk class of, of the device. So that's uh, why we need clinical data is uh, more urgently, urgently now than others is because other times is because it is, it, is it, it is in the law. It's not new, but it is in the law. It's being emphasized. Uh, and manufacturers have a need to uh, build their technical documentation up in, in this area to, to so, really show conformity assessments. So yeah. Now that we know that it's kind of mandatory, it's legislation, you need to have that. Um, now I'm a manufacturer and I say, okay, I need to have clinical data. How do I get those clinical data? So I, when, when I discussed with you and when I read your article, you were showing some source of data uh, from the smallest one to the biggest one. So I want you, if possible, that we can go through that and maybe one by one to show the first source possible, the second source, and, and then we can see, um, maybe the people can then see which one is best suitable for them. Yeah, and you know, and during your um, podcast here, you can put up some, some screenshots and I've got slides for everybody in PowerPoint so you can use them internally in your organization. Uh, to use, but I wanted to preface that by saying that uh, the value of your company, in part, is going to be due directly to the quality of the data that you have. And and number two, finding this clinical data should not be like a scavenger hunt in your technical documentation. It should be clearly there and and in a uh, in, in a in an obvious uh, format. Um, so there's basically when I even in like in 2017 when I presented this way back in in Washington D.C. You know, there's basically six, I uh, presented six methods 
to create uh, the clinical data. And, uh, you know, all this assumes that, you know, you're following local and, and national regulations in terms of uh, patient privacy laws and uh, good clinical practice and safety reporting, et cetera. But um, the, first, the first thing uh, had to do, and it's really the lowest level of evidence and least costly, um, and on, on the slide, I, I give some parameters around that to help you adjust it to your business model and your currency to have some discussions internally, but would be uh, surveys. And um, surveys are, 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 are good to be able to get data immediately. And, um, and so in my experience here, we've worked with several um, hospital systems in, in countries trying to uh, develop some surveys to get clinical evidence either for a local competent authority or for a notified body. And so I put together some, some assumptions that you, you need that, are, that, I, that I make about this and then some sort of potential risk. And so I'll, I'll, I'll do all these six in, in that kind of a format. So from, a, from an assumption standpoint, you know, I have found it as a best practice to try to find, I would call a, a manufacturer-friendly uh, healthcare practitioner to help you develop the survey. Okay. And, and uh, I prefer to use the Likert method. And on, on the website, I, I've given Manir um, 37 examples of types of Likert questions uh, that you can use. You know, these are the ones like I strongly agree, I agree, I neither agree nor disagree, I disagree, and then I strongly disagree. They're kind of in that format, but there, there are all kinds of this, uh, you know, like never, rarely, sometimes, often, always, and you can develop some, some good questions about this. But it's going to be really important that you um, uh, develop the, a key question here. And let's say you have 10 of these questions, let's say as an example, try to, try to develop a sample size based upon your expected outcome for one of those, for one of those questions, your key one, your key safety or performance uh, question. Um, you, know, you, you can get feedback directly uh, and really quickly. And here, you know, there's, there's one piece where, you know, you can take the survey and mail it out. And that's not what I have been doing in the past. I, I uh, think you, it's important to get um, somewhat the right individuals from the manufacturer uh, to in front of the healthcare practitioner. It's a good customer facing activity and it, it'll give you, help you get into a good dialogue about what the issues are. So those are sort of some assumptions around that. These things can cost anywhere from ten to twenty thousand U.S. dollars, and you can make the conversion uh, in your in your um, in your country. Um, yeah. The, so, the yeah. So mainly, uh, mainly about the survey. So as you mentioned, so it's a, a tool that can be easily done, uh, quick, but. Um, the the difficult part is really to build that survey, to have the right question, to have the right information. And as you mentioned, there's something that feels great is just not to mail it, just to people that they have to fill it. Because at the end, I'm I'm sure there are some uh, people that will just fill information quickly without really understanding maybe what is really mentioned there, or maybe misunderstanding some something, and then the the the, the outcome will not be really what you are expecting. So having really somebody that is going and looking at uh, those information and uh, explaining can be really a good strategy. Yeah, absolutely. So look, some of the risk here real quickly about this first area of these surveys are um, uh, limited statistical experience uh, analyzing surveys uh, in the clinical research quality or regulatory environment. Um, uh, I know that in, the, in our commercial marketing and sales organizations, uh, there's lots of uh, experience doing surveys but with limited hypothesis testing and 
statistical validity and, and those kind of things. So it's an area that I think is a potential growth area, especially for many of the listeners on, on your podcast today, that this is a great area to develop an expertise on and really add, add value to your, uh, for your company. Um, there's low return rates, and so that's why I say it's really uh, important to go out there and uh, if you're just relying on mailing, uh, that's going to be a problem. You, you have also the potential of what I refer to as having non-representative samples. So you want to try to control that by targeting uh, hospital systems where you know your product is being used and, and all kinds of users experience, middle, middle users, those who are just now using your product. Uh, it is the lowest level of evidence uh, in the sense of the, 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 the options that are available. And I did mention about privacy laws that you need to follow. And I did have the, a thing in the article about this could be a trap because budget managers and uh, CFOs in organizations will see how cheap this is relative to running massive clinical investigations. And they'll say, we'll do all of our uh, uh, post-market clinical follow-up you know, plans and reports doing surveys. But that, that's usually not going to be the right um, method for you know, higher-risk devices and plantables. And it may be a portion of what you want to do, but uh, it won't, you can't do, rely on this. Uh, for your active implantable devices, as an example. So, okay. so there is a, yeah. Yeah. So, um, great. So now that we have clarified everything about survey, so what yeah. are the next, what, are, what is the next source possible? Yeah. So the next being, these, this is going from like least costly to most costly. So okay. the next one, the next one would be hosp, uh, large hospital databases. I, I refer to this as big data. Uh, I've been doing this for several years, working with a, uh, all different types of uh, database around the world. I think I had, I don't know, six, five or six of, one, two, three, four, yeah, five or six of these all over the world. And um, the one we, that I had the most experience with is a database uh, called 1M Data, and they've got a large network of, uh, of hospital database connections where you can get safety and performance on all the, all the devices. Um, uh, but here, you know, you really want to get – these large uh, databases that are very good geographically based. And uh, uh, these databases have been used, in my, and I've used them personally with uh, getting product approvals or reapprovals or, or answering questions that an agency may have with the FDA, several notified bodies, uh, NMPA in, in China, as an example. You need to find uh, someone at that uh, hospital system that's going to be an advocate for your company. I, I call them the manufacturer-friendly healthcare person. Uh, and you need to uh, find the person responsible for the database is because they're going to know what's in the database and how it can be extracted. And uh, this captures real-world experience, which is on-label and off-label experience. And I think that's a good thing because, you know, we're, we're required as a manufacturer to, um, to uh, understand the possible um, systematic misuse or off-label use of, of the product. So it's actually a good thing. So, so some of the potential, yeah. yeah just one ahead. thing. So uh, when you are talking about database and hospitals, so um, yeah. is it databases that uh, the manufacturer is uh, providing? I mean, uh, or it's the hospital that has that and we just ask uh, the hospital to fill this database with their information, uh, etc. So, so is it something that, um, you are paying the hospital to do for you, and uh, is there some kind of um, 
um, criterias for inclusion of data, or they should include yeah. everything there, or what they see. Yeah. So what? Yeah, what it's it's the yeah it's the latter, uh, Manir. In in the, uh, from a budget standpoint, I put in there that uh, twenty thousand U.S. dollars as an example, and that'd be kind of year over year kind of expenses because you want to get information on the product over the lifetime of the device. Um, and uh, and there and there like there's a lot of electronic systems all over the world. But there's very few that sort of would meet the uh, qualifications of being able to be used. One would be, you know, how what kind of um, quality control systems do they have in place in terms of monitoring that database, auditing the database, you know, as an example. Um, you need to, and that's why it's very important to, to go there and to meet with the uh, healthcare practitioner and the database person. Because a lot of times you're going to get safety information based upon what was what was billed to the patient during the the event that happened, and if you don't have your those uh, billing uh, uh, pieces of the database attached to the procedure pieces of the database, you know you're not it's not going to be the right uh, database today for you to go to. You need to have have one where you know they can seamlessly tell the story about a particular patient. You know, as an example. So are so, you are you yeah. are we opening this database for a certain time, or it's something that uh, is always open, or how 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 yeah. frequent are we collecting the data from it? Yeah. So so typically, my experience has been that we would we would you know get contract with the institution, and then for a particular report, you know, and then we would have in the contract that we would want this year over year. A lot of hospital systems right now don't want to go into long-term commitments. So they may say, let's do this every year and update your contract or maybe every two years. Uh, but, but it's, it's uh, you know, and you, you could put clauses in there that if you needed to go back and, and, uh, and, and, and address the, uh, the database, depending on feedback you get from a notified body, as an example, that there may be one or two more rounds of additional analysis that may need to occur based on, you know, the, the initial uh, analysis. Okay. Um, one of the risks here, Manir, is the contract process. This could take anywhere from uh, six to 18 months, but once you get it in place, it's really good you be, to be able to get uh, data quickly. Um, you, you also need to always remember, don't just rely on one database out there. Always begin trying to look for other databases all over the world where uh, you can go go to and uh, get, get data. So, uh, so I have one of the risks is, you know, the, the need for continually expanding your network of, of databases. And the other thing I would say that you, know, you do want, you know, manufacturers are required to understand how their device performs as intended uh, in the population. Uh, but we also, uh, as a manufacturer, need to, um, uh, need to um, uh, understand, you know, uh, misuse of the product too, and then maybe real world practice of the product to make sure that our uh, intended use is correct in representing real-world practice yeah. uh, of, the, of the device. So it's really good from that perspective, too, to help you understand that. Okay. So, yeah. so the, next, the next yeah, one? The, yeah, the next one is uh, it's in that category of investigator-sponsored studies. Um, here I, um, you know, this is the I, I, ITTs or, uh, you know, the, the manufacturer is not the regulatory holder of the responsibility, but the, the physician institution would be. I put these in the category of like 200,000 per product. I mean, the, it, it could range from, you know, 100,000 to, you know, hundreds of thousands. But from a budgetary standpoint, you could look at it like that. You know, you get great safety and performance information. You get year-over-year data cuts and, and things. 
the contracts are usually with the institution, not the physician. And uh, so if the physician leaves, I say the physician, healthcare practitioner leaves the institution, you can actually maybe promote uh, a sub investigator to that role and continue on. The, the risk here are, um, in the, the practical thing here is that investigators, um, you know, are really not interested in getting information on core products, as an example. Um, it's not interesting to them to do that. Um, data quality, uh, <coughs> excuse me, maybe not as high because of a lack of monitoring and a lack of auditing. Uh, you, you manufacturers usually cannot direct research, so we're really more <coughs> taking a hands-off approach from that from that perspective. Um, there is a long lead time for those of you that are involved in clinical research. You know how long it takes to, you know, to you know get the project off the ground, and um, uh, data may not align <coughs> with the the product label. You may you may have th things that are off label, and you know the basically the the a healthcare practitioners really, from an investigator sponsored standpoint, they really like to, <coughs> excuse me, they really like to um, uh, study uh, more risky populations, populations that are beyond what the label has. And so this, this another risk here is there may not be an interest to, to, uh, to from investigators to, to do this, especially when you, once you get to your primary endpoint, uh, then get year over year over year data. That's not interesting to, many scientists in the community, but yet it's required from a regulatory standpoint. Yeah, so, no, I see, I, I see that. And uh, yeah, as, as you said, more we are going up and more we are uh, trying to get more data, more information, more things. So more yeah. there can be some, some risk and also some, yeah. some issues when we are gathering, yeah. gathering those data. Okay, yeah. so um, what is the next one? We've got three more. The, the one is one would be the national registries, and I've been involved with, you know, the ACC NCDR database, the SCAR database, and um, a registry in, in Sweden. So, what um, is the difference between a registry and the database? I mean, what is exactly? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm probably using the certain terms synonymously, and probably shouldn't, but you know, here here's an example of where uh, either a country or a organization is sponsoring. Um, following patients in a independent uh, registry, as an example. It is a database and network, but I, it's not like the hospital database uh, that I was referring to earlier, because these are not really sponsored by um, So it's a registry is, is, is specifically yeah. to a company, specifically to a, a product, yeah. maybe specifically to, to uh, some, something. So it's not like something where, uh, where a lot of companies are coming and putting things inside. It's specific yeah. to one, one product. Yeah, yeah. And so reg, uh, companies can do registries also, but what I'm referring to here are these national registries that are not run by companies that are run okay. by either the country or maybe an organization, you know, as an example. So uh, this does those registries, yeah. national registries, as you mentioned, so everybody can have access to that or it's something that is... Uh, um, Usually if you're contributing, I mean, it, it depends depending on the national registry as an example, but in general, if a hospital is contributing to this registry, they would have access, uh, certain types of access uh, to the, the results of that. And so what you would do is you would work with a, a, a healthcare practitioner that's involved with sending data into the registry and work with them to try to capture information about your product, you know, as an example. 
um, it does it does capture real world experience again, <clears throat> and um, and you know one thing I would say is I think this is going to be an area that Manir you and I are going to see growing uh, over the years because there's a lot of interest in in traceability and in um, um, transparency of how devices are are working that the MDR is bringing to the table. So I think we'll see more and more of these are populate. Uh, coming up all over the world, but especially in, in Europe. Okay. Uh, there are some risks here in these, and I can tell you, that, you know, I've been involved with uh, this in terms of budgeting. I think it, I put down about 300,000 us dollars per year uh, on something like this. This could change. This could be lower or higher depending on what you're extracting and, and things like this. But, uh, uh, but there's a, there, here's one of the risks, a real risk here is there's really a limited ability for a manufacturer to change the database or to change the registry, because this is not being run by them, it's being run by an association or, or a country, you know, as an example. So you don't have a lot of good flexibility to change something to get more specific information about your product. Okay, so if, if you think that there is a specific uh, function or a specific uh, element that you have to get, and this registry is not collecting this information, you cannot yeah. change that, you cannot ask for a change there. Well, it's not easy, I would say it's not easy. Well, you can, it's not an easy thing to do. Okay. So, uh, it, uh, so if you need if you need data, you know, within a year, um, this this is not going to be a good uh, option if if it's not already capturing the data that you you want. Okay. Um, the other real risk here, Manir, is there's not all the device components are included. You know, the medical uh, device regulation requires us to get information on all sizes of the device, any kind of accessories that are used, and, and things like this. And a lot of times, some of these registries will have, let's say, guide wires. I'll just call it guide wire. They won't, uh, they won't mention which guide wire it is, you know, as an example. So you won't be able to have specific information about your product, you know, as an example. So not all the components are typically there. There is less for, uh, flexibility to receive downloads off schedule. So if you have your contract in place and you say we need to get this information, you know, in, in November every year or, or whatever, if, let's say if you want to get something in March, um, there's not a lot of flexibility to go back and get data whenever whenever you want. It's another new contract, you know, kind of thing. Now you could build in some examples of uh, maybe how frequently you want updates or whatever, but uh, there there are challenges to, uh, with that working with these national uh, register, uh, okay. registries. <laughs> Uh, the other thing would be uh, there's a day there's and this has really surprised me. I didn't realize it was so bad. Uh, there's actually a, a data lag in data readiness or data entry into the system. So a hospital system that's con contributing to this registry, the, the data lag may be six or nine months, okay. you know, as an example. So if your company finds a signal that's a problem and uh, recently, you know, that the data may not be robust enough today to get you information you need because there's other signals that need to be uploaded into the database and that could take six to nine months as an example. Um, okay. And there's limited or no capability to go back to an, a site, a hospital site uh, to, to query uh, a data point that you're interested in that came out that you saw in your analysis. So those are some risks dealing with the national registry. Yeah. So I see that uh, this is really, uh, uh, if I can say a, a good, 
uh, great database, if I can say that, uh, can can help you. But there are so many things that are maybe uh, not helping or that will make maybe the manufacturer take the decision to not go for this kind of solution because, uh, yeah, it's not really flexible, uh, as you mentioned. So what yeah, is the next one? Yeah, it, yeah, so I think that's why we need to have decision trees and maybe use more than one of yeah. these approaches, you know, as an example. The last two deal with small manufacturer product registries or, or randomized control trials or one large trial where the company puts in all their products as an example. And I'll cover both of those at the same time. Uh, there are a little different. One would probably cost, you know, two to five million early on. And then there's a maintenance fee after that. And maybe the other one is, you know, 40 to 50 million uh, uh, early on. And then, and then a maintenance uh, few million to keep it maintained. But, you know, from a small registry perspective, manufacturers have a lot of experience running these. We, we've been able to find manufacturer-friendly physicians or healthcare practitioners to help us with this. There's interest in the community to do these uh, kinds of studies and be involved, and uh, the manufacturer has a lot of control. Uh, from a large perspective, large uh, registry perspective, um, you know, uh, the the, um, the 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 ability to expand your label uh, in uh, claims or indications would exist. You know, if you have a large database like this that you could you could use, some risk here would be, um, you know, the, I would say it's in the category of the profitability of some of the products that may lead to, uh, you know, showing lower margins or profit profit from these uh, devices. So there, it'll get the manufacturers talking about what should we do because if we're going to spend this money to collect this data and we're not making a lot of profit on this product, we have to have these tough discussions about whether we should, you know, continue to produce this because there's going to be a requirement for evidence to be generated for, for this product, as an example. There's long lead times for those of you involved in clinical investigations, uh, how you get these things started, for both from a small and large perspective. Uh, physicians are, are tip and practitioners are typically not very excited about, about these kind of studies if once the primary endpoint is reached, as an example. And they certainly lose their enthusiasm, you know, year over year over year because it's, quote, not science anymore. But, but from a regulatory standpoint, it's data that we need. If from a large a budgetary standpoint, it really impacts a manufacturer's R&D budget because the, the thing that gets a lot of attention to manufacturers is this, um, you know, ability to bring new products or more innovative products. And spending money on these large registries takes that money away from being able to invest early on in product development. Um, so I, I think those registries or those big ones are really for high risk products. We are not doing that for uh, products with low risk without really um, um, a, a big, uh, if I can say, uh, um, forecast or big amount of money that we can make for them. It's really for high risk products where we need really to get some specific data, and it's why we have to invest so much money to uh, to have those information so that we can be sure that the the products remain on the market. Yeah, but you know, if you look at the the portfolio of some companies, there you know, some companies have a lot of low risk and medium risk devices, but that they could get some data uh, if they were had included some of these products in their registry. So this would be an option for them to consider in order to um, to get information on their product. You know, as an example. But you're right. The way the current practice is today, it's really just limited to higher risk devices, as an example. 
Okay, so great. So now we have six yeah. source of clinical evaluation yeah. or clinical yeah. data. So I, yeah. just as a reminder, we have the surveys, we have the hospital database, yeah. we have the ISS, we have the national registries and yeah. the small products and the large registry. So small products yeah. registry and large, large registry. Yeah. So yeah. now I am a company. Um, can I go all? Can I go only for a survey? Then, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the trap. That's the trap uh, because. I know. Uh, but how how can they how can yeah. they choose to? Yeah. As as we said, it's, it's really a balance between um, yeah. the money that we put to have those information and the really necessity to have this amount of information. Yeah. So how do I go to choose here? Yeah, it's going to be a, a, a conversation that needs to happen within the. Uh, the organization. Basically, you know, when I when I have discussions like this with manufacturers, I, you know, I tell them, you know, what do you know? I mean, we have discussions about what do you know about the product? How current is the data, the clinical data that you have on the product? And uh, where are the gaps in what we understand about what's in your label in terms of intended use or any claims that are being made uh, from that perspective? And then and then develop strategies, multiple strategies, in order to get in, in data uh, to support the um, documentation to support uh, those label claims or indications as an example. And so, um, you know, like I said before, my, my, I can give my own personal experiences working with re regulatory agencies, competent authorities, notified bodies all over the world. You know, if you have a, a higher risk, let's just, let's say it's the implantable or class three or, or active device, you know, as an example, <coughs> You know they're going to want substantial amount of level of evidence uh, to to val validate the um, the safety and performance of this device, and and they're not going to be looking at you know least costly methods here. They're going to look at appropriate methods for, you know for those kind of devices. So you know so basically, how do you decide? I basically lead them through a decision tree analysis. Uh, what's your portfolio look like? You know, we could put everything on the left-hand side, everything on the right-hand side, uh, or combination of things in the middle. And so far, every one of these conversations has led to uh, making sure that there's multiple um, uh, uh, collection of sufficient clinical evidence using several different options, you know, as an example. And I think that's the way that you need to approach this, depending on the question you're wanting to to answer, because you don't have this information in your technical documentation. No, so does, does that get it? Yeah. No, I think it's, it's great. So, um, yeah, yeah. so uh, as, as we said also, um, I will attach uh, on the show notes uh, this uh, document that you provided me uh, where you have, you are mentioning those uh, information here about the different uh, clinical data source, uh, the cost of it also, and also some other information there. So please just go to the show notes of podcast.easymedicaldevice.com uh, and download uh, those uh, those slide, this slide, uh, this PDF uh, deck, uh, and then uh, yeah, try to get more information from there. Um, Okay, David, so um, now let's talk more about you. So what strategic global solution can provide to its customers? So what, what, are you, what can you do to help the, the customers here or the medical device yeah. manufacturers? Well, you know, I, I provided your listeners with a list of 20 things that we can do to help you today. Okay. You know, kind of thing. I can tell you what's, ha what's um, occupying my time uh, right now, and that is, um, understanding the results of the gap assessments that are being done 
uh, through ma with manufacturers. A few years ago, it was a big topic to do gap assessments. I think a lot of companies have have had some you know, experience with that. So dealing with the consequences of a gap assessment, uh, the idea about, I call this the long pole in the tent uh, in terms of the clinical evidence and the technical documentation. This is going to take a lot of time uh, to, to get this information. And one of the things I tell manufacturers is, you know, there's no shortcuts here. You know, it's like, it's like having a baby. It takes nine months. It doesn't matter how many people you throw at it or how much money you invest in it. It takes time. It's going to take nine months to have a baby. And, and it's, it's, it's funny because when you are saying yeah. that, it's, it's something I'm always hearing some, for some people that uh, some yeah. CEO come to me and say, Munir, uh, how much you need for making that happen quickly? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can give me yeah. millions. It will not change anything in the timing, yes. timing yes. so I cannot change that. So. Yeah, that's exactly right. So right now, I'm spending a lot of my time immediately trying to help manufacturers get data right now, basically. That's where the, and I think I'll see more, and you'll see this also more and more throughout the rest of this year and into 2020 uh, as, as um, information about what actual data they have that's going to be credible, um, that's going to be compliant, that's going to be current uh, in their technical documentation and having these real tough conversations with an agency or with a notified body about maybe what's lacking Uh, because I said, you know, earlier that just because you believe the device is is safe because of something you did years ago, it, it may not be the state of the art today, and you'll need to have evidence here. So I'm seeing this now. This is where I'm spending a lot of my time, and, and several teams members that are helping me with this uh, are spending a lot of my time uh, trying to develop this clinical evidence. So kind of implementing this strategy that I talked about September 2017, And, and wrote this neat little article in, in, um, in, uh, in LinkedIn just recently about this. No, I think it's, so, it's great. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah if, if people really want to get some uh, more information about clinical data, uh, so then they can directly go to uh, David. Uh, I think uh, you really need, I mean, with the MDR, uh, clinical data is really something that is, uh, is gold now. So you have really to find it and to uh, put it on your documentation and to prove that your product is safe. So uh, please contact David directly so that he can really help you and try to uh, to provide you all the all the knowledge needed. And as I said, uh, he provided uh, graciously this uh, document to download. So uh, please go on the podcast uh, so you can download that directly. Yeah, can I can I close by just saying a couple of different things real quickly as we get close here? And me, I've, I've got a couple of things I want to say that. You know, one of the things I've noticed um, is, is and, and I'll tell manufacturers, you know, if the notified body wants chocolate, quit trying to sell them vanilla. In other words, you need to really use your ears and listen to, you know, what they're, either, uh, what they're saying to you <coughs> or, you know, what they're communicating to you in writing. Um, the other thing is that, you know, there, there's a need to uh, access uh, Uh, large data uh, populations, and I've got this really great, <coughs> excuse me, history with this 1M data uh, group that's really been helpful for, for several manufacturers. Um, take a risk-based approach in, in what you're doing. Use, look, at, look at this these six options as uh, uh, options to develop your strategy around using one or more uh, of, of these options, and ask the right question. Make sure it's Um, the question is going to be um, relevant to, the, to what you know and what you don't know about your device and then build a strategy that's statistically, scientifically, 
and, and clinically uh, strong and, com and compliant, you know, as an example. Um, I, you know, I, I've, I've dealt with some manufacturers that, that say, we have all this information, and, and, I, and I, 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 I say it in a nice way, but I, I tell them that, you know, sometimes when you have a lot of something, you know, you, you, know, you uh, sometimes don't have anything. So you, you got to take a really healthy, realistic look at the data that you have and assess it to see how, you know, how valuable that data is today, you know, in the current state of the art. So that would yeah. be one I want to kind of control. No, I think it's a, it's a great, uh, great uh, information here. And uh, yeah, please, um, as manufacturers, so you should really understand that uh, uh, this can take time to get, you need to, really to get accurate information. You should not just yeah. get everything and try to put that on your file to say more we have, better it is. No, it should be really accurate, specific. Uh, and and uh, to the to the point. So I hope yeah that uh, with all the information that David provided you, it will be really helpful for you, and that yeah. you can uh, now start to decide how you you should get your uh, your clinical data. You know, uh, one one thing I I remembered also wanted to say, Manir, um, that one there's a lot of changes that are occurring in the medical device regulation all over the world, but in Europe, I have found this tool that BSI offers called Compliance Navigator as a great a tool to be able to keep up with the changes that are occurring. So that was one of the things I want to make sure I didn't end the, the uh, uh, podcast uh, without saying, because it personally, I've, I've used this for years. It's personally helped me to, to, to uh, have one source of where uh, um, not only uh, the law, the law, let's say the regulations are in guidance documents is expert opinions uh, red lines of, uh, of documents that are being looked at right now are, but it kind of, but it, it also is a place where I'll get some things fed to me on a monthly basis, as an example about what's changing to give me a heads up about what's happening in our device as it is as we're sitting in our industry as we're sitting in November uh, 2019 today. We've still got several documents that we're still wanting to get final. Um, uh, um, approval uh, and de delivery from the commission and working groups about, you know, sufficient clinical evidence, uh, et cetera. And this is going to be a, a good way to keep me and others up to date about what's changing in, in terms of um, uh, things that are coming out of the MDR, as an example. So yeah. it's called Compliance Navigator. It's a great tool. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. Uh, those about my own personal experience, but it's uh, vital, in my opinion, that you have a tool like this. Yeah, I saw this tool and I saw that BSI is also providing a lot of uh, information. Their uh, white paper is also great about um, technical yeah. files or GSPR or everything. So yeah, they have uh, they have really made a lot of effort to provide, to help the community to be uh, on the good shape for the for the yes. MDR. Right. So I think it's, uh, it's right. a source of information, yeah. Yeah. yeah good. Okay. So um, please uh, then uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget also to provide some reviews. Uh, I think it's really important for uh, for uh, everybody that uh, yeah we have really uh, a podcast that uh, gets uh, some some good reviews. Uh, so 
please go also to the YouTube channel. Uh, I'm also trying to provide more videos there. Uh, I'm having some uh, videos that are not uh, shown on the podcast so that you can also get some more information. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe and to click on the bell icon so that you can also get notified when there is a new video uh, coming. Uh, so, David, so thank you for your help. Thank you for all the information you provided. Uh, as I said, uh, I will also share uh, the document that you, uh, you gave me on the show notes so that people can download it. Uh, and then uh, I wish you a nice day. Thank you. You're doing great work, Manira. Keep it up. You're Thank really you giving a good, uh, good service to, to our industry. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.